Hello, I'm Mariette Snowman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is a healthy lifestyle, ditching guilt. My guest is functional nutritionist, investigative health journalist and health coach Zina LaRue from Pretoria. Welcome Zina. Thank you so much. To our listeners, after our conversation, Zina will give us her three best tips on keeping your gut in tip-top condition and then I'll ask her a fun question. Zina, as a health coach, your philosophy is that healthy food should be delicious, that exercise should be enjoyed, that life should be celebrated, and that your body should be honored. Now this sounds wonderful, but to many of us, the idea of developing and maintaining a healthy lifestyle seems like an overwhelming task. How can you reframe that for us to give us some hope? Yes, um, definitely. And I, I know I work with a lot of clients who, who struggle exactly with this. So um, I think a good place to start with would be what your definition of health is, right? So for me, health is having the energy and the fire to be able to do the things that you love in life um, and having that meaningful life. And it's for me, it's not just about being a certain size or a shape or even the absence of disease or pain, but rather a real joy in living, thriving. And I think, unfortunately, um, in our 21st century living, so many of us have become accustomed to uh, tolerating bad health. You know, it's, we're supposed to feel tired. We're supposed to not sleep well. You know, we, we're supposed to have a few health niggles. That's part of living the life but this is not normal it's absolutely not normal um, and you don't have to tolerate it and you will not know what it feels like until you've experienced it because for now that's your normal so your yeah, healthy for me is not just about your physiological body um, or eating perfectly all the time but something I'm, um, that's quite important here is to also not have that obsession or uh, you know rigidness around food but that that's not healthy that's definitely not healthy and unfortunately we often go to that extremes to to try to be healthy and that's why it's overwhelming so often so I, I definitely have a more integrated view of health you know body mind um, thoughts mood relationships purpose belonging all of those things play an important role you know it's health is, is not necessarily something that you need to get also something that something that you actually already have if you don't disturb it so we just need to kind of take away all of those external voices to get that back and then it really is not that overwhelming it sounds to me you don't say to your clients now you are not allowed to eat a b and c you rather <laughs> say to your clients let's look at what is meaningful in your life yes and get to what will bring you joy. Yes, exactly. And often when they do more things that bring them joy, food kind of loses their, loses its um, pull, you know. And then, of course, we're not only going to focus on what brings them joy. That's part of the program. We are going to focus on including more nutritious and wholesome foods, of course, because we want to get the body back in balance. So it's just, it's just more integrative than just giving them a diet. Now, a big thing is guilt. 
And I was hoping that you could give us some advice on guilt around exercising and guilt around food. Because we often know what to do, but we find ourselves not doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think uh, what plays a big role here is the external messages. Um, the health industry, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm general, generalizing here, it's not the health industry as a whole, but some people in the health industry makes us believe that a healthy lifestyle is a punishment or it's not okay if you don't do it in a certain way, right? So it's not good enough. You have to go to the gym five times a week. You have to um, eat exactly that type of diet. And if you're not doing it, you're not healthy. And that's just, it's just not true. So um, I think this is one of the main reasons that we actually develop guilt is because of these external messages. And specifically with exercise, when I'm looking at exercise, what I would usually do is I would actually ask the client, what is it exactly that they don't like about exercise? So maybe you can answer this if you're open to that. Do you like exercise? I like certain types of exercise. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So if I ask a client, let's say they, they just say, you know, I, I don't like exercise at all. I would ask them, okay, what is it? What specifically? And then often what they would tell me is, you know, um, I don't like when people look at me when I'm in the gym, right? Or I um, don't like the feeling of sweating or it's just uncomfortable, and what I often realize then, it's not exercise in itself that they don't like. It's, it's maybe the feeling of being unfit, sure. No, no one likes that. Or there's other elements like being self-conscious and things like that. So we, we need to address that. And often when I, and that's why I love how you said, Mariette, that certain types of exercise you love. If I take them through a list of, I love the word movement more than exercise, of ways of moving your body. I've got this list of hiking, abseiling, um, dancing, hopscotch, you know, and often they, they tick most of those things. They love that. And I ask them, but why don't you do them? You're telling me that you are liking these, so you do like exercise. And then they tell me, but no, but that's not, you know, they're kind of confused there. Um, that's fun. That's not exercise. <laughs> and that's exactly where I want to challenge them. Of course, it needs to be fun. You need to love what you do when you're moving the body. Otherwise, it is always going to end up at the very end of your priority list and you're never going to sustain it. So for me, sustainable change is everything um, or sustainable, healthy habits. Yeah, and something that's also quite interesting around exercise is they've done a, a very interesting study on housework or hotel workers, two groups of hotel workers. And the one group, they told them, you know, the amount of physical work that you're doing each day is almost, is, is almost like going to the gym every single day, you know, compared to the other group that told, oh, no, it's really not, you can't see this as exercise. And the difference here was, was quite interesting um, because the one group who just thought and heard that, yes, this counts as exercise, their blood pressure went down, <laughs> they lost some weight. It was, it's amazing. So, so thinking about the everyday movement that you're doing and seeing that as enough could actually already make a big difference in your life. Yeah, so that's, that's around guilt and exercise. I think there's a, there's, it's, it's also quite, quite complex. But coming back to um, guilt around food, you know, I will always ask for both of these things, for both exercise and 
and food, where does that guilt come from? You know, who told you that it's not okay what, that what you're doing now is not okay? Um, who told you that it's not okay to eat when you're hungry? Who told you that you have to go to the gym five times a week? And if we are actually connected only to our own bodies and responding to what my body needs, also in terms of movement, then there's just no need for guilt. And there's just usually no guilt because you're just responding to yourself. Yeah, so once again, you talked about the external voices. And at any rate, they never agree. Mm-hmm. No. And, and they change from time to time. Exactly. So, so you would take the person back to themselves. Mm. And how do I, where do I get these ideas from? And how would I like to do live and yes. then you work with that. Yes, taking that power back. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that the health industry is, butter is, now butter is in, then margarine is in, then fat is good, then fat is bad, then eggs are good. So, I mean, who should we really be listening to? But yes, coming back to your own body will tell you what it needs and how it wants to move. I'm, I've always wondered why we sometimes keep on eating a specific food that affects us badly. Yes, there are quite a few things that come into play here. Um, one thing that I find quite fascinating is dairy and wheat. So dairy contains casiomorphines and wheat contains gluteomorphines. And that's exactly what you're hearing, morphines. Oh, <laughs> So um, if your gut microbiome, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about the gut microbiome, but that's basically the bacteria that lives within our bodies, but most of it lives in our digestive tract. If that gut microbiome can't digest and excrete those casio and gluteomorphins, it actually goes into your bloodstream. Um, And then it goes through the blood-brain barrier. And what happens then, it, it blocks certain areas of the brain in the same way as heroin would, right? So it's, it's like a drug. It's like a drug. So it makes sense. Um, and then we need more and more. And we're always craving those specific things. You know, often when I tell clients because, because of a food sensitivity or whatever, if they, if they take out the wheat and the gluten, or I, I suggest that they see what happens if they take out the wheat and the gluten, that's, they almost go into a panic. You know, what else is left to eat? So it's almost that <laughs> drug-related response where I need that, right? So, um, and I often see this, I work quite a bit with children with autism as well. And they've done a lot of amazing research around this where they pick up in most children with autism those casiomorphins and gluteomorphins in their bloodstream, which means that it's not being digested as it should. And that's why they are very specific often in terms of what it is, what types of food they're eating. You know, so the autistic children often then only eating yogurt or chocolate yogurt and spaghetti. That's it. Right. So it's it's those those morphines that that come into play. And this makes us eat more of the foods that are causing us harm. Right. So that's one one example. And another interesting um, example that I want to touch on here is dopamine. So we, our bodies love that dopamine hit, right? We're always after that next dopamine hit. And food does give us a dopamine hit. So if you're eating a, just a nice balanced plate of food, it's going to give you a little bit of dopamine. If you're eating sugar, it's going to give you a lot of dopamine. <laughs> but if you are eating that same plate of food every single day for three, four, five days, 
you won't get any dopamine after three or four days. So your body wants variation. It needs excitement to keep on giving you that dopamine hit. But sugar never gets old, never gets bored of sugar. So whenever you're eating sugar, it will always give you that hit. So, so two things are important here. Be careful of sugar. It really has that um, almost addictive effect because of that dopamine hit. Second thing is try to add a lot of variation into your diet because if you <clears throat> sorry, if you're eating the same thing every single day, you are going to crave that dopamine and that's when you're going to go for the sugar options more so than if you had more variation in your diet. And lastly, I would ask, how can we give you a dopamine hit by not eating food? You know, what else can you do that can also give you that feeling? So, yeah, I hope that that answers your question. I just have one thing to ask. If you mm. talk about the same plate of food that stops giving you any any dopamine mm. reaction, do you mean, you don't mean food groups, you mean specific food, like you are having chicken and... Yes, yes. And those specific Yes, vegetables. exactly, exactly. So if you're having broccoli and chicken and potatoes, and you have it again tomorrow and again, just by varying it up a little bit, having some bacon instead of the chicken will give you a bit of a dopamine again. That's mm. a wonderful tip that I've never yeah. heard. Yeah. <laughs> Zina, how do you teach your clients to get rid of the guilt around food? Yeah, this is, this is usually quite a long journey. Um, and that's why one session with me is, will probably not be enough. It, yeah, it's a longer journey. So um, I do a combination of structure and flexibility with my clients. So, you know, it is quite important to get their physiology back in balance. So there is a bit of structure in terms of balancing your blood sugar, healing your gut, eating real nutritious foods. And often that helps us or my client to be more flexible and be able to listen to their own bodies. Because if your body is constantly deprived, if you're in that blood sugar dip, you are going to crave the carbs and the refined foods. And then you're telling me, but my body is telling me I need the sugar, right? And that's not, it's because your body is out of balance. So yes, you can actually trust your body because it is telling you that it's out of balance, right? So we just try to get that physiology back in balance. And um, then, of course, the, the fluidity and the flexibility plays a big role where you become more in tune with your body, start to listen more to your body. And once there's a bit of structure in place and you've got your body back in balance, you can really start to learn to pay more attention to what your needs are. So something that I often start out with, is with clients that have a lot of emotional relations to food, I would usually start out with them doing a hunger journal. So just writing down, if you are eating, are you hungry, yes or no? How does hunger feel like? Often people don't even know what hunger feels like. And if you're not hungry, what's going on, right? And then we immediately start to see that trend. When are you eating or why are you eating if you're not hungry? And it's, it's, it's often so clear. It's just because, you know, they need at the end of a day, a long working day, they feel like they need a reward um, or they need excitement. It's on a Saturday. It's over weekends. They need excitement. So then we can start seeing that trend. And then obviously, yes, we, we try to address that real need. So what's, what's really going on in, in however small way, we start to just 
even if it's the smallest step, even if it's just doing some research on what is out there that could excite me, right? And often I see that that, that intense need for food fades a bit when we do that. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll guide them back to that, um, what hunger feels like, when to stop when they've had enough. And, and yes, the moment you start looking at your body in terms of what does it need to thrive? What does it need to be the best version of itself? Um, then it is going to come back in balance. And yeah, the body was actually telling you that something was off. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that we consider and that we take into consideration to firstly bring the body back into balance, help you to start listening to your body more. And if you become more in tune with your own body, that's when the guilt kind of subsides. Yes, so it sounds yeah. to me as if you take your clients on a journey to replace guilt with trust. That's it, exactly. Yeah, that sounds very nice to mm. be able to trust one's body. And that's know it. that you can do it. Yes, exactly. One more thing I wanted to ask was um, the emphasis you place on mental health. When one looks at your website, one can see that. Mm. Yes, we know that our health impacts um, other areas of our lives a lot, you know, and other areas of our life also impacts our health. It's not isolated, gone separated. Um, and one of the research fields that I am, I absolutely love is the gut-brain connection. So we know that there's a vagus nerve. The vagus nerve connects the brain and the, and the gut. And it's a bi-directional communication system. I love that. It's not just the brain that is this governing organ telling the rest of the body what to do. It's a lot of communication that goes from the gut to the brain. So to give you a practical example of this is when you're stressed, when you're writing an exam, when you have to do a presentation, um, I don't know if you've experienced that, but you might feel that your tummy is a little bit upset. Yes. Eh? yes. And also the other way around, if you've been eating a lot of sugar or processed foods, you might feel you know, a bit irritated or your concentration is just not that great. So that's, that's where the communication takes place between the gut and the brain. And so, so this is really one of the first things that I would address if someone is, is having some issues with mental health, you know, and I'm talking about anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism. Um, it's amazing because I work with a lady in my office in Linwood Manor. She's a neurophysiologist and she often or she does that brain scans with uh, brain frequency treatment and so on. And, and she can actually pick up whether there's inflammation in the brain. And then she sends them to me. And when I fix the inflammation in their gut, the inflammation in the brain goes away. So that's so satisfying to do that type of work. But it's, it's really... Um, amazing the amount of research that that has been done on this topic. If you are interested in this topic, someone's research who I would really recommend is Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. She wrote the book Gaps. It's called Gut and Psychology Syndrome. And she's recently brought out a new one, Gut and Physiology Syndrome, where she links so many disease, so many mental health issues with gut health. And she's done decades of research. Specifically, she started out with, with children with autism um, and other ADHD and, and, and symptoms like things like that. And what she has seen is when you put, you know, even if there's 100, 200 kids with ADHD and you test all of their the microbiome in their gut, they all have the same dysbiosis, which means that the same bacteria is missing in their gut for most of them. 
So this is this is you know I, I find this extremely interesting um, because we also know that our serotonin, our neurotransmitters, are mostly produced in the gut. So if your gut is not functioning well, you are not going to feel good. Is going to impact your your mental health. So that's the first place I would start. It's really healing your gut. Uh, the second one is trying to eliminate trans fats. So trans fats are it's fats that have been damaged, basically. So that's fats that you find in margarine, in many processed foods. Their chemical structure aren't staying stable, so then it gets damaged um, and it oxidizes. So it has actually been banned in the UK and I think most of the European countries, it has been banned. And what happens with trans fats is they actually stiffen our cell membranes. You know? And so the cells are supposed to be fluid. Osmosis and communication between the cells are supposed to take place. But if it stiffens, obviously it can't. So this is detrimental to the whole body, but especially to the brain and the heart. So there's a big hypothesis and more research needs to be done. It's a big hypothesis around the introduction of trans fats and the increase in Alzheimer's disease, okay. um, where, you know, the, the brain cells can't communicate as they, as they should. So, so that's something else I would definitely look at for, for mental health as well. Um, and then, of course, I've, I've talked about blood sugar balancing a lot. But if your blood sugar is not balanced, you will get that spike in your blood sugar when, let's say, you're having a piece of toast. How are you going to get that spike? And then it's going to drop after a while. And then people experience the symptoms of low blood sugar levels in, in various different ways. But many people experience that their mood drops, you know, their concentration is low, um, they're tired. You know? So that, that makes a big difference in how you feel as well. So, yes, if we eat well, we definitely have a better mental state and when we have a better mental state we don't need food as much to try to soothe us that makes a lot of sense mm. i also wanted to ask you about the role of perfectionism in acquiring a healthier lifestyle because i saw on your website that you talk about that yes yeah so now we really need to let go of perfectionism in um, trying to attain a healthy life and this is definitely one of the biggest bottles that I see um, in my practice where people have that all or nothing thinking. So once again, I would like to challenge that. Where does it come from? Is it really true? If you do have a chocolate and you think that I'm, you know, I might as well just give up. Um, no, that's not true. It's, you know, if you, if you just change your thinking there, I had a chocolate, but I can just go back to how I ate tomorrow, then you will still get that results. You know, so I don't know where that came from. It's just absolutely not true. So, yeah, I, I, I think that um, it's really just an outdated thought that we just need to let go of. If it pops up, we just need to let go of it. And you can get excellent results. And I've seen it with clients. I do that myself. If you follow certain principles or structure, you know, 80% of the time. For some people, it's even less. You know, just have a bit of structure. And then, you know, if life happens, it's not as if you won't get any results. So, so yeah, my, my sweet spot would be around 80%. Try to follow the nutritious, wholesome way of eating 80% of the time. And for the rest of the time, just have that pizza Friday night or um, have the brownie on Sunday or, or whatever it is that you, that you want. Otherwise, that rebel is going to come out. 
that rebel will binge eat and it will make you feel like a failure again. So just let go of that. It's mm -hmm. definitely not serving mm -hmm. any one of us. And is there anything else you'd like to add regarding maintaining a healthy lifestyle while ditching guilt? Yes, I think something that I would really recommend is to find practices where you can tune more into your body. And this, with this, I mean, yes, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, but for some, it's also it could be something like dancing, you know, just, just being in your body and learning to trust your body is, is a, is a great way of, of learning to trust your body and to know, get familiar with your body. Or spending time in nature for some. That's also also a great one. So there are some wonderful practices out there. And something that I just want to add on is to be kind and to be curious as you go through the process. Don't beat yourself up or feel like a failure if you don't manage to to successfully change your, your beliefs and your way of eating in a week or two weeks' time. It is going to take some time, but be kind. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I see. Okay. This is what's happening here because it definitely is a skill that we need to relearn. Where can people find more information about what you do? Um, I think the best place to start would be my website www.zinalaru.ca.za uh, you can go to my youtube channel search for Zina Leru, instagram also Zina Leru, um, and i see my individual clients from my office in linwood manor i do some training for for students across the globe so i also do zoom sessions um, and i do retreats and a lot of online programs yeah so good to know that people don't need to be in your vicinity no, if they, they want to work to. with you. Absolutely. And you promised us your three best tips on keeping your gut health in tip-top condition. Yes. Number one is to reduce antibiotics, right? So we know that antibiotics kill off the microbiome. Um, and I'm not only referring to, you know, antibiotics when you have the flu. I'm talking about the antibiotics that are used in our food, in our meat, um, the pesticides that they use to um, spray our, our vegetables. So really try to, to, you know, clean up the sources of the food that you are, that you are eating. That's number one. Number two is to eat more fermented foods. So that is basically good bacteria that you're going to put back into your gut. And that includes things like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha. And then the last one is to add variety. Variety because the gut microbiome loves variety. Um, and the more color and the more nutrients you get, the happier your gut microbiome will be. Thank you. Now it's time for your fun question. Let's talk about a girly topic, lipstick. <laughs> Which food do you think, with a little inventiveness, could be used as lipstick? <laughs> sure. It needn't last. It could just be for fun. <laughs> I think a Vienna. Definitely a Vienna. <laughs> if you dip it in a little bit of ketchup, it could be a beautiful <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> caught me unawares. <laughs> I was actually thinking of beetroot. I like, I like yours better. That might be a better answer. 
thank you, Zina, for your positive approach and your practical advice. Such a pleasure. And to our listeners, if you found this episode useful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.